You're listening to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Sarah. And I'm Dan. We're a movie-obsessed couple that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is Aliens, and we're covering eight extraterrestrial-themed movies. Shoot the Hostage contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the chosen film. We really hope you enjoy listening and stick around. Episode two of season three, mm. and we're covering Nicholas Rogue's The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah, continuing our alien theme. Yeah. Extraterrestrials. Yes. Non-human biologics. Yeah, my favourite new term. Non-human year, biologics. Yeah, from the year 2023. If, if nothing else happens this year, we got that term. We were considering calling this season non-human biologics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I'm um, still not convinced we made the right call there. But how fitting to cover a, a David Bowie movie in yeah. the alien season. First Nicholas Rogue, as you mentioned. Yes. And he's your jam, isn't he? He's very much my jam. Yeah, this was absolutely my suggestion. I would definitely credit Nicholas Rogue as being one of my favourite directors of all time. Why is that? Because he's directed a couple of my favourite films. I absolutely adore Don't Look Now. That's been in my top 10 for decades at this point. I think I watched that when I was 13. Mm which I absolutely shouldn't have done. <laughs> I've seen that relatively recently because you showed it to me. Yeah, and you, you did not care for it. tied me to a chair and you made me watch it. <laughs> Clockwork Orange style. Uh, yes, you did. It was It was all right. It was, it was <laughs> oh a my bit, God. It was all right. Yeah. I don't have the same love for 70s cinema that you do. You don't. You certainly don't. Yeah, and Walkabout as well we watched recently. That's right. And you didn't get... <laughs> You didn't care much for that one either. <laughs> no, I can, but I can see the appeal because they're impeccably made movies. Yeah. And I can see what you would get out of it. I'm just a little bit, sometimes I struggle to shake the teenager off my shoulder and just going, oh, where's the explosions? <laughs> you know? Why are we even dating? <laughs> <laughs> Some people are don't look now people, other people are con air people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or, or you could say some people are don't look now people, or some people are the man who fell to earth people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm my interests are peaked because we haven't really discussed this one at all. No, this let's, is uh, this is interesting. Let's dance. Let's dance let's indeed. Let's put on our red shoes and dance the groove. Dance the blues. Da let's dance the blues. <laughs> what and an we, album! Yeah, good album. I mean, we'll try and keep the David Bowie chat to a minimum, but I promise nothing at this point. I can't promise you that. <laughs> You've suddenly become far more attractive to me. <laughs> I can't think why. <laughs> right, before we delve in, have you got a synopsis then? Oh, yes, I, I have got a synopsis, which I've, I found a minute, a minute ago and I've immediately lost it. I've, I've refound it again. So We're that, such professionals. That's called filler, why I do other things. <laughs> So 1976, is this the oldest movie we've covered thus far? I think it might be, yeah. I think Thief was the other yeah, oldest one. But that was, what, 80, 81? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 1976, 138 minutes long. Yeah, on, it's beefy. It's beefy. It's one of the longer ones that we've done. Ooh, <laughs> wow. uh, tagline, power, space, time, and a visitor. That's a terrible tagline. It is really, isn't it? Yeah. Power, space, time. I don't like mm, that. No, it's, it's very, it's quite reductive. Yeah. 
Right, so we're going to go for a synopsis now. Thomas Jerome Newton is an alien who has come to Earth in search of water to save his home planet. Aided by lawyer Oliver Farnsworth, Thomas uses his knowledge of advanced technology to create profitable inventions. While developing a method to transport water, Thomas meets Mary Lou, a quiet hotel clerk, and begins to fall in love with her. Just as he is ready to leave Earth, Thomas is intercepted by the US government and his entire plan is threatened. That's a bit spoilery, that synopsis. It is, and I also take issue with a couple of points. Go on. Mary Lou never fucking shuts up. No, she does. She's not quiet. Yeah, no, she does does go on a bit, doesn't she? She's a gobshite booze hound, (laughs) but we'll get to that later. But that's maybe the point. (laughs) That's maybe the point, though. Yeah, There's so much in this film that, okay, well, what about this? And then I'm thinking, yeah, but maybe that's the point. (laughs) Um, I've written an alternative synopsis. Oh, God. Um, a star man embarks on a space oddity from oh, planet Anthea. Oh, I From planet Athena to Earth. He learns that Earth has no heroes while under pressure to find <laughs> water to send home. <laughs> but he finds modern love and his focus cha-cha-cha changes. <laughs> <laughs> Later, he reveals that he belongs to a race of cat people. <laughs> But his wife wants to give loving the alien a go anyway. Ultimately, he forgets his mission and spends his golden years <laughs> having to stay in a Moon Age daydream. Oh, I love that. That's all right, isn't it? That was brilliant. I was happy with that. <laughs> if it wasn't going to wreck the waveform, I would be giving you a small round of applause right now. You can just do it away from the mic. How's that? <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I might cut in a proper one. Okay. Let's like get one from Wimbledon or something. <laughs> Thunderous round of applause <laughs> and cheering. So the budget was 1.5 million. The box office was 163,000. Uh, okay. So <laughs> Not the, great. It shit the bed. It did. I can understand because it's a quite a cerebral movie. It's not a popcorn time. It's not a switch your brain off movie. I think you very much got to watch every frame and still you might be a bit lost. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note that the, the version that was released was completely butchered. The theatrical one. The theatrical release. Yeah. As I understand it, a company called Cinema V acquired the film and they cut it up to shreds and it did not resemble Nicholas Rogue's vision at all. It was even more indecipherable than the actual director's cut. Um, much shorter. It was given an X rating in the UK, which was more or less a death sentence at that time. Because of all the cocks. There were a lot of cocks in this, yeah. There's a little rip-torn penis in this. I could have done that's, without that's seeing fun, that. isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's important to know, I guess. What um, version did we watch then, do you think? Well, the the only version that's available on physical media now is the uncut version. Right, As, and that's the one we've got there. That's the 138-minute one, yes. The rogue cut. The rogue cut, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rogue one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's so far from being a commercial film anyway. Yeah. I think it was probably doomed to not do very well. I mean, what would be the closest comparison these days? Starman. Did you think Starman? Starman. It's been a while since I've seen that, but I remember that being around. And yeah. Linking that film to this one, I think, during my childhood. K-Pax. K-Pax. Where Pax. Spacey pretends he's an alien. Okay. Or maybe he is an alien. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, let's not go down the spacey rabbit hole. Fuck that guy. <laughs> or don't. Else? Nobody fuck that guy. He doesn't deserve it. Let's move on from spacey. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of Contact a little bit, actually. The Jodie Foster one. Okay, yeah. It's a different movie, but, you know, kind of space, aliens There are some thing. similar it's, themes, I guess. It's slow 
and methodical and yeah you've got to think about it it's a thing it's a thinker it's definitely a thinker i think the closest comparison for me would probably be under the skin under the skin's a really good shout yeah i think under the skin owes a lot to the man who fell to earth mm. and similarly i can't imagine that film did big numbers <laughs> under the skin yeah no. Maybe I'm wrong. No. I'd be happy to be proved wrong, but it's certainly not very accessible, is it? It flew under the radar, I think. Yeah. Other comparisons? I can't think of any others off the top of my head. I've got some written down, but I can't be bothered to look at my notes. That's fair. We'll it's not to... an it's not an easy film to pigeonhole. No, it's very much its own thing. And there's nothing really like it, though. We've mentioned a couple of comparisons there, but they're not, there's nothing like it. There's just flavors of this movie yeah. in those ones, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You can see the influences in more modern stuff, but yes. it's so far and away a really unique piece of cinema. Yeah. And it's it's odd. I remember that when they announced that they were adapting or they were going to make a TV show. Yeah. And they did. And it came out a year or two ago, I think, mm-hmm. with Chiwetel Ojiofor, for Naomi Harris and yeah. McBoyle. And McBoyle. Yeah, McBoyle. <laughs> and we tried to watch it, didn't we, yesterday, but we couldn't find it on Prime, which mm-hmm. it was previously on. But uh, of course, we went to watch it and it's been removed. Apparently, that's set 45 years after the movie. So it's a kind of a sequel. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit gutted that we couldn't get hold of that, actually, because I'm so intrigued to see how they would follow on a film like that. Yeah. And I think it's like a closed loop. Like one season is a single story. Okay. There aren't going to be any more seasons. I did a quick Google and apparently they said, no, we told the story we wanted to tell. But more realistically, they probably got cancelled. <laughs> I'm sure if they chucked a load of money at the creators and they wanted it, they would have done it. Yeah. Oh, we've suddenly come up with an idea that would work. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like to get around to that at some point. Yeah. But I'm going to wait till it comes back on the streaming for free. Okay. So back to Nicholas Rogue for a second before mm. we delve into the film itself. Do you know much about the man himself? The man himself? No. I, I, all I know is that he did some second unit work on Lawrence of Arabia and he started in the camera department? I mean, well, I I think his first job was as an editing assistant. Mm, okay. Um, so it sounds like he basically started from the ground floor and just worked his way up, which is kind of harder and harder to do these days, I think, outside of nepotism, <laughs> which is a real shame. But yeah, he, he started editing in 1947, I believe. And then 12 years later, he started doing cinematography, 1959. Right. Um, he's worked with some absolute legends. Some names off the top of my head. He worked with David Lean, um, uh, Roger Corman. Oh, <laughs> I mean, Corman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. A legend in a different way. Yeah. Uh, Francois Truffaut. Okay. So like some really big names, some heavy hitters, man. He had quite the career. And I, I credit him as being one of my favorite directors, but I haven't seen some of his films. When I say he's one of my favorite directors, I mean he has such a unique style and a unique vision. And what I have seen, I adore. I'm very keen to watch Bad Timing. Which also we tried to find. Yeah, and couldn't. Mm. Um, and I'd like to give performance another go. Okay. I think probably his only truly accessible film that I can think of is The Witches, which is so far removed oh, yeah. from the rest of his filmography. It's hard to believe. It is a weird one, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of an outlier when you're looking at his The Rogues Gallery. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Roald Dahl adaptation. Roald Dahl. I think I saw that at the pictures. Does um, someone eat a mouse in it? There is a boy that's turned into a mouse. Ah, yes. 
and I... Angelica Houston uh, is bald and takes her wig off, and they're all ugly crones. Underneath. Good movie. It's not bad. I, do you know what? It's a really good kids movie. Oh, it's thirty years since I, I've seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. Um, got remade in the last few years. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, not not so interested in that one. Um, but yeah, so I mean, he had such an incredible career. He lived a long life. Died at ninety. Mm. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, was married a number of times. There was some, not controversy as such, but some kind of sketchy stuff, which okay. we'll talk about. He met, I can't remember the actress's name, I'm so sorry, on the set of Bad Timing, his female lead. He reportedly fell in love with her during the filming. He was 52, she was 22. Okay. Uh, they went on to have a relationship, which, mm, not great. Power imbalance aside, that, that kind of age gap is, you know, if you're 52 and dating somebody whose frontal lobe hasn't fully formed, that's... Maybe a problem. Oh, I mean, more than anything, just what do you talk about? Yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing in common with a 21-year-old anymore. No, your frame of reference is so different. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know much about the man, you know, outside of his professional life. But for all kind of testimonials, he seemed like a nice dude. Okay. For the most part. So, The Man Who Fell to Earth, 1976. I'm so, so keen to hear what you thought of this. Oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to mention that it was written by Paul Mayersberg. It was, yeah, adapted from the Walter Tevis yes. novel. He also wrote Croupier. Croupier? 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 The, the Clive Owen one where he's um, a doing a, a big dice at someone. I think. <laughs> and uh, director of photography was Anthony Richmond. And I, I mentioned this, I don't know if you looked this up. Do you recognise that name? I don't. Well, you should. Okay. Because he was DOP on The Candyman. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I thought that might pique your interest. It does. Do you want to know what else he was a DOP on? Yes, please. Alvin and the Chipmunks 2. Oh. Can I go back five seconds and <laughs> yeah. change my answer? <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. But I just wanted to mention that because I, I thought that would get you interested. Edited by Graham Clifford, who edited Don't Look Now as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So the cast, mm -hmm. so one Mr. David Bowie, which you're kind of familiar with him. I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah. He plays <laughs> Newton, and that's an interesting choice of name. Well, interesting in that he was named for the guy who... I want to. Say, I was going to say invented, invented gravity, gravity, but gravity was very much already a thing. <laughs> um, discovered gravity? Gave it a name? I don't know. Yes. Discovered the concept of, yes. I guess. It was already there. Yeah. It was already there. It was already in place, keeping it's, it's all our planets in the solar system yeah. and everything. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep... <laughs> keep working together in unison yeah but he he discovered it you're right and i thought that was an interesting name choice for bowie's character bowie as an actor mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to correct you it's bowie uh, is it yeah bowie yes not bowie bowie okay he, he himself said bowie so i'm gonna oh, that's gonna go with me, that that's gonna tell me ages yeah so um bowie as an actor he's what else has he done I, I'm not sure if that question's serious or not. We'll just pretend it is. Obviously Labyrinth. Labyrinth, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in, he had like a blink and you'll miss it role in Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me. Like, wasn't he in The Prestige briefly as well? He was in The Prestige well? as um, Nikola Tesla. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, the Hunger, which is probably one of my favourite vampire movies of all time. Yeah. He's had quite a career in... Not only in music, but in film as well. I think a lot of people underestimate 
how how good of an actor he was. I think I underestimated just how much that he did because yeah. when I looked at his letterbox profile, 151 movies to his name. That's insane. That's more than some actors. That's like Samuel Jackson level. <laughs> um, I mean, some of those are going to be like appearances as himself, right? Yeah, I guess so. Documentary some documentaries, probably Moon yeah. Daydream, that sort of thing. He also had a music career. Did he? Yeah, yeah. He did a bit of singing sometimes. Okay. Did, did a few albums, which Tell me you more. might be aware of. Let's dance. <laughs> um, who else is in this? Rip Torn. Jesus. Yes. Rip Torn. 135 films listed on Letterboxd. I'm so. amazed he found that many people willing to work with him from the rumours. <laughs> yeah. So, I've, I mean, I'm familiar with later Rip Torn mainly. So, I've got Men in Black, Dodgeball. Dodgeball. Uh, dodge, <laughs> dip, duck, dive, and dodge. And Freddie Got Fingered. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, would you like some sausage? Oh, God. No, <laughs> not a, in the context of this film. That's a funny movie. Chipolata, more like. Um, Candy Clock. Yeah. She'd, I think, only done American Graffiti mm, okay. at this point. Right. Okay. Um, but she was the first person cast. Was she? For The Man Who Fell to Earth, yes. And Nicholas Rogue did start a relationship with her. While this movie was being made. And also while he was already married. Mm, okay. God, he's <laughs> really living up to his name, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so she plays Mary Lou, and she also plays Newton's wife. Yeah. On planet Athena. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Anthea. Anthea. On planet Anthea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't think they ever give it a name in the film itself, though. I think it's just in the literature. Yeah, I think so. I, I think... The, maybe as well if you read the book that might give you a bit more context i'm sure yeah because this film doesn't really hand you anything no. you've got to work quite hard to <laughs> understand everything and yes. not in a christopher nolan way where you're just scratching your head going what the fuck does this mean <laughs> it, it's it all makes sense by the end of the movie as long as you've paid every like attention yeah. to it and given it some thought and given it some thought yeah. yeah but i think it's one of those movies that you can really put any perspective on it that you want i mean there are, it, it's so chock full of themes you can kind of just pick one and run with it if you yeah. want i really enjoyed the opening scene where you've got the stock footage of the rocket yeah and that's coming towards the earth and then like icarus he falls from the sky into a river yeah the icarus mythology that's um there's a painting isn't there in a the movie there's a painting the land uh is it the landscape of the fall of icarus i think it's called yeah I can't remember the artist who's credited as painting it, but there has been some discrepancy recently. There's been some doubt cast on whether or not that was actually one of his paintings. So. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, there's there's a number of references to Icarus throughout the film, but I mean, from a literal perspective, he, he falls to earth and lands in water. Mm. <laughs> so there's your first very literal reading on that. But also, I guess... Somebody who had an ambitious aim, but hubris and human folly or alien folly, I guess, in this instance, was their undoing. Yeah. Flew too close to the sun. That's right. Yeah. So the first time we see Bowie, he's... I beg your pardon. <laughs> first time we see Bowie, he's learning how to walk and he's doing this weird, like, long leg walk thing. And when I saw that, I was just like, what is this movie? What are we going to be watching? <laughs> you started laughing immediately I and I was I, like, uh-oh. Yeah, I did. And I don't think I was meant to be laughing. No. And then um, he finds his way to a pawn shop and he's got a bunch of gold rings for some reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he just mugged Sonic on his way there. I don't know. <laughs> 
But the first bit of dialogue in the movie is a drunken man mumbling gibberish. Yeah, interestingly. I, we interestingly, kind of come full circle, don't we? Yes, we do. And I clocked that at the time. And I think that was the first kind of thing that I noticed and kept referencing back in my brain as the okay. movie progressed. And then he has a riverside picnic with some fudge and some celery. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a meal, right? That's two yeah. of the five food groups right there. I, you could quite easily watch this movie and go, oh, it's just random stuff and it doesn't mean anything. But when you think about it, it does. Celery's predominantly water. Exactly, yeah. He's. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't explain the chocolate fudge other than... <laughs> He's in, got a sweet tooth as yeah, well. Other than just indulgences of humans. I mean, yeah, that's definitely something that crops up many times throughout this film. Exactly. That's kind of what this movie the, is about. Yeah, the driving force. It's is being distracted by human... Comforts, vices, vices yeah. excess. And while he's having his riverside picnic, he's just loving chugging down some river water. <laughs> he loves it. Well, you've seen the planet he came from. It's dry, yeah. And also, so I know you said you were laughing at him sort of stumbling down the, the hill, but all of the scenes of him on his home planet, it's, it's flat as anything. So even that kind of makes sense. It's terrain he's not familiar with. A hill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's never encountered hills before. Well, gravity is probably different as well. And yeah. yeah. Uh, just I thought visually it, it looked quite funny to me. <laughs> but it makes sense. Something that kind of struck me right at the start, I guess, is... I mean, da so David Bowie was kind of born to play this role. I cannot think of a single person who would have been better as an alien outsider... Because that was kind of his identity as a person, wasn't it? He was the outsider. I Listen, you're the Bowie person here. <laughs> I know nothing about Bowie apart from Labyrinth, this movie, and some of his songs. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go with whatever you say. Okay. But I mean, a lot of his stage persona, um, Ziggy Stardust, all of that sort of stuff was centered around him being an alien mm. and... It, it just made so much sense to me. So it was quite curious to hear some of the actors that were considered before him, okay. which we'll get to later. But yeah, immediately you're sort of forced to see things from his perspective. And I found that really interesting, kind of, he's the outsider, but you're kind of encountering things through him as the proxy. And it's kind of highlighting how weird a lot of the idiosyncrasies and customs of earth are yeah did you find that as well yeah isn't there a moment where someone goes to shake his hand and there just seems to be a not disregard but a lack of understanding of human social interactions which i thought was very relatable yeah i was gonna say the same thing <laughs> that's just being autistic <laughs> um yeah so he was he was very alien and as you say we're looking at it through his eyes um, yeah, and just all of the weird stuff that humans do. We are quite strange. When you yeah. start breaking everything down, a lot of the things that we do day to day are bonkers. Mm. But it's like, oh, it's tradition. It's just normal. And we, we don't question it. We just go through the motions. You just go with it. You learn these things as a child. Yeah. And you just do them. And you very you rarely question, like, why do people eat turkeys on Christmas? Day? Yeah. The driest, it's the most horrible. disgusting of all the meats available. <laughs> yeah. But it's tradition. Yeah. Yeah, these weird things that seem pointless mm -hmm. and there's not much use to them outside of just being a good, s normal citizen trying to fit yeah, into like a tribe. community, isn't it? That's yeah. the whole point. And I mean, the entire point of the novel and this adaptation is kind of the loneliness of the outsider. So 
what better way to portray that than yeah. sort of looking at these strange customs that we all just take for granted and toe the line yeah. and expose them for how fucking weird they are once they're dismantled. Yeah, and also the same things and, and other things can act as just huge distractions. Mm. He, When he arrives, he all he's interested in doing is inventing this machine to, I guess, send water back to his planet. Yeah. It wasn't really clear to me whether he just wanted to get... I know he wanted to find water, but... Mm -hmm. um, I, I, yeah, when the, the part where he's meant to be flying back, I wasn't sure if it was him meant to be flying back or if he was sending water back. I don't know. Well, I'm 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 not clear on whether or not his in invention to transport the water was ever a hundred percent successful. I feel like they got close, but then the government intercepted. Anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So he's on Earth. He's pawned this ring. He's got some money. He then kind of. So that the narrative in this is very strange, straight out of the gate. The the time jumps, the linear nature of it, but spanning decades is not immediately obvious. No, and it happens very quickly as well. It does, yeah. And the characters kind of look a little different, but not massively, apart from... Well, like, he, he remains character. the same and everybody yes. ages around him, yeah. Yeah. Which is a really good way to kind of show how much of an outsider he is in a literal way. But yeah, so he, he goes to meet with Farnsworth. I'm not entirely sure why he chooses that lawyer, but there are some sort of hints, like um, it seems like Farnsworth has been in a long-term gay relationship. So maybe he knows what it's like to feel like an outsider. Maybe that yeah. played into his decision. Um, it's interesting anyway, especially in 1976, you didn't see that a lot. No, you certainly didn't. I think I find as well he he tended to employ people that were maybe approaching middle age as well. Yeah. And I thought maybe there was something, you know, they'd got into their own routine and their own, call it a rut, call it whatever you like, and it was disrupted by this guy, but ultimately it was a really good thing that happened to them. Mm. I think it, it was saying, you know, you can get out of these ruts if you want to, but then obviously he falls into similar kind of ruts and just... Uh, starts drinking all of the booze. Yeah. <laughs> which we, I would do, to be fair. Yeah, if somebody offered me a bottle of Beef Eater Gin, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. Was this sponsored by Beef Eater Gin, by the way? Possibly. <laughs> Is that where some of the funding came from? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Farnsworth. So Farnsworth. He offers he offers Farnsworth $1,000 an hour to read his... Patents. Um, patents. Yeah. Well, he wants to read his equations. Yeah, he wants to He wants to get patents. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, yeah. I've just figured out why he chose that lawyer, because he must be the only lawyer on the planet that can read complex equations and decide <laughs> yeah. how many patents there are. <laughs> and he says, what, 11 or something? I think he has nine. Okay. I want to say nine. And that sparks his kind of global takeover of uh, business. Yeah, they estimate that he's going to make like three hundred million in three months or something like right. that. And I think it's it tends to be entertainment focused. Yeah, from and what art I gather, culture focused, mm -hmm. um, which makes sense because Farnsworth was named after one of the inventors of the modern TV set. Okay, that's interesting. TVs come up a lot in this yes. as well. Yeah, there's the throughout the movie, Bo's character is watching multiple TVs. He kind of becomes obsessed. Yes. At first, I was unsure 
about the reasoning behind that because I think it's easy to kind of go, oh, he's just trying to consume as much information and learn as much about humans as he can. But I don't, the, the more it wore on, the less I started to think that. I think it was more just like, as you say, falling into the trappings of what it means to be human and the distractions, you know, that we surround ourselves with to get through the shit. Yeah, it was definitely another distraction. He did mention that he'd seen Earth on their version of television on planet Antria. Which was just like cling film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, so I assume that the television exists on their planet or they're just picking up signals from, yeah. from Mars or whatever. But I think that he can just, he just processes information differently. There's a part in the movie where he's driving along and he sees this like hillbilly family from 300 years ago or whatever. Oh yeah, like the settlers. Yeah, and that's that's an odd one because that, it's kind of the only time that you see that, I think. Yeah. What's your take on that? What, what do you think is going on there? I don't know. Maybe he does perceive time very differently. It would make sense given that he doesn't seem to age. That's that's my theory. That's um, my theory. Yeah. And also maybe, maybe that was not him necessarily viewing it there and then. Maybe it was kind of a memory that had been unlocked because he'd been around for such a long time. He'd been viewing humans for, for so many, like, hundreds of years or however many. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he mentioned as well later on in the movie that he'd see, he'd seen the footsteps of other extraterrestrials. Mm. It could have been them. Could have could have been their, their quote-unquote footsteps might have just been the memory that he saw or the vision that he had. Maybe that's the kind of footsteps we're talking about. That would be my metaphorical read on it. footsteps. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like you said before, there's so much you could pick, focus on one area area of this movie and pick it apart and decide this is what the movie is, but mm -hmm. then look at the next scene and it's something completely different. Yeah, you'd be tearing your hair out by the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's I don't know, it's kind of a nightmare as a casual viewer. I would there are so few people I would recommend this film to because I mean it I find it entertaining and I think it's incredibly inventive visually. I think it's beautiful to look at. I think it's just bizarre and it captivates me because of how strange it is. But I don't know who I would recommend it to. It's so strange. Yeah, I don't know who I'd recommend this to either. <laughs> I'd recommend it to me. Yeah. I. So are you, right, we're what? still, we're not quite halfway through yet, but I have to know, did you enjoy this then? Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. That's, so surprising to me. I thought you were going to hate it. It's it's weird because I think thematically this ticks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah. It's a sci-fi. Mm -hmm. That's another box ticked. There's just a lot going on in this that is just really right up my street. It on plays an existential to my, level, yeah. Yeah, it plays to my taste existentially, technologically, thematically. Just some of the themes running throughout it. Addiction, globalization... Where he's got really good hair. He's got magnificent <laughs> hair. And yeah, environmental um, stuff. He obviously, he comes from a stuff. He comes from a planet that's dry as fuck. So yeah. maybe that's Earth in. Well, yeah, years. that got yeah. me thinking. It got me thinking because there are so many instances in media where aliens are coming to the planet for water or the inverse, like in signs where they're definitely afraid of it. Um, <laughs> But it always play. It always seems to play a part. Yeah, and I do think like it is going to be a scarce resource. Yeah, as it, the years tick on, it, it, it is. Yeah, 
It's, it's a simple fact that it yeah. will be as there becomes more and more of us and we pollute the planet more and more. Unfortunately, yeah. that's how it's going to hit, where it's going to head, we think. But anyway, let's keep it light and fluffy. <laughs> Um, Can we go back to talking about Rip Torn for a minute? Yeah, sure. Let me just scroll up to my Rip Torn section. <laughs> rip stick. Little Rip. Rip Torn, back when he was just a small tear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we He gets introduced to us via sexy time. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think I've got a pretty good handle on this film, but his character is the one that kind of evades me the most. In what way? Uh, in terms of his purpose, his storytelling purpose. Because, yeah, we're introduced with him. He's having kind of a myriad of relationships with inappropriately younger students. He works, um, is he a professor or a teacher's yeah. aide or something? So he's having these inappropriate relationships. There's some sort of role play involved where they're saying, oh, you're not at all like my father. <laughs> like that's a line that's repeated by more than one yeah. woman. Um, so there's there's definitely some weirdness some freudian weirdness going on there but he doesn't crop up again for a while there's a there's a big chunk of the film where we don't see his character but he's obviously important because he's there at the start he's there at the end but i i have less of a handle on his purpose i think he's just trying to protect the earth from the scum of the universe <laughs> right of course no you're right he does <laughs> pop up i kind of feel like he kind of represents humanity in a way because fallible fallible he obviously is having relations with his students which is totally unethical mm -hmm. so i feel like maybe him getting to work for newton's company which were called worldwide enterprises i think yeah it was like a we logo yeah. wasn't it i feel like maybe that was him getting a second chance that was his life. redemption was it well yes that was how his he redemption. saw it yeah i think so yeah um, but ultimately he fails, right? He fails again. Yeah. He, he he gets given a second chance and he disappoints again because he, is he the one that shops him to the government? That's the impression I get. Yeah. Because he's, he has the recording device and the x-ray camera hidden behind the wall unit. Yeah. So I, it was unclear to me whether that was of his own volition or if he'd been roped in to do that because he had... Um, he had access to Thomas. Yeah. But yeah, he does. He he dobs him in. Yeah. In one way or another, and I don't know that that sort of circles back to one of the biggest themes I think in this film, and that's just like distrust of the outsider, distrust mm. of quote unquote the other. Yeah. And there's that beautiful line right at the end where Bowie is just talking about the mistreatment that he had at the hands of the U.S. government, and kind of saying, "I can't." I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact line, but he kind of says, I, I can't say we'd have done any differently. We'd have done the same thing to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he says, I think. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that is something that's more universal and not yeah. necessarily a uh, human trait mm -hmm. is the distrust of outsiders. The unknown. Yeah. The it's unknown. scary. And it's, and it, yeah, and it can be scary. Um, but the fact that this was written sort of, well, I think the novel was set during the Cold War era, which makes a lot of sense in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody was so fearful about what their quote unquote opponents were doing if they had better weapons and bigger bombs. And so yeah. we had to one up them. And, so, and there was just this air of paranoia throughout. Oh, what if they had a hash brown spaceship? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd 
kill us all with giant hash browns. <laughs> giant, drop one cosmic giant hash brown on the earth and we'd just all die immediately. If, it was like a hash would, brown train. That wouldn't be a way to go. That wouldn't be a bad way to go, would it? Being Death killed, by hash brown. Killed by a giant hash brown. I'd be all right with that. Yeah. Was it a train? <laughs> Died as I lived. Was it a train? Spaceship? It looked like a train. Yeah. I don't know. The house. <laughs> It wasn't clear, was it? No. They just hung around and sort of pointed it and go, oh, look, hash brown. Just, Where's Bowie? Just this triangular thing covered in cornflakes, I don't know. <laughs> it's a weird, it was a weird design, but I didn't yeah. hate it. I thought it was quite good. But I mean, in terms of, like, we just don't know, do we? So in terms of speculation, why not have it look like a hash brown? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It could be anything. They don't have hash browns on Anthea. Oh, that makes me sad for them. I'd yeah. have come to Earth for the hash browns, not the water. Maybe that's, that's another reason he stayed for so long. I forgot right. about his family because he found hash, hash browns. Hash browns, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I would abandon everyone I love for he hash was, browns. He wanted to stay on Earth until McDonald's started serving <laughs> breakfast all day. Oh, what a dream. Yeah. <laughs> Where were we? Rip Torn. <laughs> Torn, right, okay. Have we finished with Rip Torn? Um, yes and no. So no then. Well, again, I don't believe he was the first choice for the role. Mm, okay. I think that <laughs> there were a number of reasons. Uh, I, After we watched this, I introduced you to that insane video that you can find on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you must. Just Google Norman Mailer, Riptorn, Maidstone. It's about 10 minutes. It's a really shaky home video taken on the set of the film Maidstone, which was directed by Norman Mailer. Riptorn seemingly apropos of nothing, lost in character or on drugs, unclear. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. Little of column A, little of column B. Too many hash browns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, attacks the director with a hammer. He takes a hammer to his head. So they end up in this brawl. Um, Norman Mailer takes a chunk out of Riptorn's ear and just the look on his face... I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but there was a lot of like, it's all right, baby. It was just, it was so odd. Yeah. He seemed like an insane person. I think you're right. And he's been, he was slapped on a wrist a few times as well. Yes. I think a few DUIs. Yeah. He was, I can't remember the year, but I, I looked up, he got very drunk and tried to break into a bank once. <laughs> <laughs> we should have covered that in criminal season. <laughs> yeah. Just oh, CCTV man. footage of Rip Dawn. I was going to introduce a section in this show just called Rip Torn's Misdemeanors, <laughs> but I didn't have time to do an extensive list. I saw them all and it was like, there's too many. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He had quite the rap sheet. Yeah. But I think as a result of that, he's he spent a portion of his career struggling to get work. He struggled to get people to convince people to work with him. Well, the only person that was crazy enough to employ him in the 90s was Tom Green. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy, would you like some sausage? Stop. That's what he said. Stop. He was also in a film called Senseless. I'm not familiar with that. Which I believe David Spade and one of the Wayans brothers were saying. <laughs> Ripped all It's funny choices, isn't it? Yeah. But like, I, I think some of it was out of desperation because he was a good actor. Do you think so? But he had such a poor reputation. I don't know. Patches O'Houlihan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was his comeback era. Why do we do anything? Why do I drink my own urine? <laughs> taste <laughs> <laughs> that was ad-libbed he didn't know the cameras were rolling at that point he just drunk his own urine before yeah. that scene it was, it was method oh um, lord but yeah like if if you had to sort of name an actor who had true crazy eyes Rip Torn would probably be one of the first that I thought of yeah he looked like a dangerous man 
Um, but yeah, I guess Nick Rogue was sort of willing to work with him at that point. And from what I gather, it wasn't too problematic of a shoot, hmm. which is more than can be said for Bowie, who had a massive cocaine problem at the time. Of course. It was the 70s. Yeah. He well, was a rock star. Of course he did. I heard that he, yes, he had a massive cocaine problem, but actually he was quite professional on this movie. Right. Have you heard different? Uh, so. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. By all accounts, he was an absolute professional on set. He, in his own words, didn't know what the fuck the film was about. Didn't really know what was expected of him, but he learned his lines and he delivered them how he was instructed to, and it bloody well worked. A lot of people around him said, yeah, he seemed to really clean up his act. Bowie himself states that he was using cocaine every day <laughs> during the making of this film. So I don't know if he was telling other people a different story at that time, but by his own confession, he was definitely heavily using. It was off his nut. Yes. Yeah. And there were a couple of occasions where he got some serious paranoia by the sound of it. Apparently there's one day on set where he had a glass of milk and there was some gold flecks floating in it. So he said he'd been poisoned. Right. Because he got really sick afterwards and they tested it and they couldn't find any traces of anything, but he was convinced like one of the crew had spiked him and Okay. Who knows? Who knows? eventful it sounds like but yeah by all accounts he was a consummate professional on set beyond that but yeah i can imagine it would have been i don't know overwhelming daunting to have to direct people like that i guess so was, was he huge in 1976 or 75 Bowie. when this was shot yeah yeah i know he'd released some, I mean, some albums and he was well he'd well been known. making music since the 60s but he wasn't was he the monolith that he became yet he was pretty big at he the was. time. He yeah. kind of was there already, yeah. was he? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think Nick Rogue cast him uh, on the basis that he'd seen a documentary called Cracked Actor about and didn't Bowie. give him any clues about who he was employing. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, on the strength of that, he originally wanted Mick Jagger for the role. Oh, I can't see that. I mean, he'd worked with him on performance, which was good. But I don't see Mick Jagger in this role at all. Have you seen Free Jack? No. Uh, yeah, Jagger's in that. And okay. It's terrible. He's terrible in it. Free Jack. Awful. Emilio Estevez gets put through time tunnel into a race car or something. Out, Excuse no, me? <laughs> out of race, gets sucked out of a race car and through a time tunnel to another time. So Anthony Hopkins can live in his body, I think. Excuse me? I think that's right. Yeah. That sounds insane. I have to see it immediately. Oh, it sounds like it would be interesting. It does. But it's not. It sounds like a fever dream. It's terrible. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> we haven't really spoken about Mary Lou an awful lot. Candy Clark. We mentioned her earlier. We spoke about yeah. her a little bit. But mm -hmm. more her character. Because when Bowie's character meets her, he's already begun to gather his fortune. Mm -hmm. He's on the road to sending water home. He's on the right track. Yep. But she's kind of the one that, that derails him. Or he derails himself, but she's the character that introduces him to alcohol. Yeah. To sex, I guess. Yeah. To television. Well, to yes and no. Religion. He kind of, doesn't he order her to bring him a television? You're right. He does. Yeah. Um, and then he ends up with about 73 of them in his room at once. Yeah. 
And I, I was a little confused at, at this point. I was in, in many points, but he gets into a lift and she's the lift operator, I think. She's a really terrible lift operator. Yeah, it's just going up and down, yeah. up and down. And he's got this well, bloody women lift drivers. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he, uh, he's getting motion sickness, which is something that has been happening throughout the film up to that point. If he gets into a car, he asks yeah. the driver to slow down. And I think that's him acclimatizing himself to the way we do things. Yeah. And I noticed that that stopped happening. Okay. Um, I don't know what my point was really, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it stopped happening. We were talking about Mary Lou's character and that's how yeah. she got introduced. Right. So I went off top, off track there. Your hash um, brown train was derailed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they get married. They do a, do a big old sing at the church and he kind of starts to get a bit distant and bored i think he sort of loses himself because yeah. he there are there are moments when he clearly misses his wife back home and his children but i guess so much time has passed that he's just getting more and more sucked into life on earth yeah. and i do think he actually does fall in love with mary lou the first time i watched that i didn't it didn't ring true for me it felt like she'd just kind of latched herself onto him and he'd just kind of gone along with it. Mm. But I think that was more to do with he just expresses things differently. I think I think he was in love with her. But yeah, she's a strange character. Yeah, she she is a strange character. Played very well by Candy Clark, but I would love to know what her direction was a lot mm. of the time. Because she acted quite alien <laughs> some of the time as well. Yeah, it was maybe part of the attraction for him. Maybe, maybe. And she, you didn't really see her interacting with anyone else, so maybe she was also an outsider. Yeah. Maybe that's what brought them together. But yeah, she's definitely kind of one of the main catalysts for his Demise. descent into excess, isn't yeah, it? Excess. Like sex and drugs and alcohol and guns and... Yeah. I don't know. TV. Distractions, like yeah. you said. A comfort prison. Yeah. That's a really good like way a, of phrasing it. The Howard Hughes style of living life oh yeah i mean he does sort of become a bit of a howard hughes figure doesn't recluse, he total yeah. recluse yeah. yeah so when he's um uh, we don't know who quite sabotaged his mission oh by the way there's a real astronaut in this jim lovell who was on the apollo 13 mission really yeah who was he um he was in the movie somewhere <laughs> right okay <laughs> that's my answer i can't remember <laughs> um yeah so when he we think that he's going to get on a spaceship, but doesn't. And then there's a time jump. Yeah. And then he is imprisoned from that point for for, for quite a chunk of the movie. <sighs> like literally and metaphorically, because he's yeah. kind of a... He's been experimented on, tested on. I don't know if the government or whoever's doing that believes that he's an alien or not. I think they do. I think they believe him, but I think... Because of that, they're inherently suspicious, as they would be in real life. Obviously, some of the stuff that's come to light this year, I don't know. Who knows? That could, that could be happening. I think... If yeah. somebody told me Elon Musk was an alien, that's all I'm going to say. And he's been so obsessed with getting to space, I would buy that. He just wants <laughs> to get back to his hash brown train. Yeah. yeah I think you're right. I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was super interesting that he, once he had gathered all of his wealth, he's become, quote unquote, successful in human capitalist terms mm -hmm. and the more comforts that he gets the more unhappy he appears to become could be because he's missing his home his family maybe he's kind of forgetting about them 
Well, he's kind but of lost his purpose. He's lost his purpose. But you, you hear about that often. We mentioned Howard Hughes. People become what they think is a success. They yeah, what they think will of, bring them happiness. Exactly. I'll get that Ferrari. That'll make me really happy. It's like, yeah, it's, it's great to have a Ferrari. I'd fucking love to have a Ferrari. <laughs> but I know that that Ferrari is not going to make me inherently happy. It's It'll not make you fleetingly happy. It'll make me, yeah, be re- like a huge buzz when I get it. Yeah. And I'll get to drive it sometimes and that'll be fun just to sit in it and hear the engine and and then you'll the- see the fuel prices and it'll bring you back down with a bump. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to live in it because I can't afford to pay <laughs> yeah. rent in it. Um, but yeah, and, and it's, I think a lot of people assume that once they reach a certain thing, oh, I'll be happy when I get this or I'll be happy when I achieve that. And that's not how it works. Well, it's the same, like, if you take money out of the equation, it's like, I'll be happy when I'm thinner. Yeah. It's, it's setting a goal for yourself and, yeah. and tying your own happiness to that goal. And it's a total trick. It's, it's a trap. It's a trap. It doesn't work. Yeah. And this film, uh, one of the many, many things, it does portray that beautifully, I think. Mm-hmm. It's something that's not talked about an awful lot. Uh, I think, and it's because it's easy. People like us, we can look at Bezos or Musk and obviously not our cup of tea or whatever, but they're kind of on another level and some people might think, oh, they're, they're all right. They, they can afford to pay their bills. They can go on holiday and do whatever they want. And yeah, they don't have the stresses of having to pay their bills, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they're happy. Well, yeah, It does it, not mean that you're going to wake up and go, oh, great. After a little while, you just, humans adjust to everything. Yeah. No matter the circumstances. Look how we did during a pandemic. Like a couple, mm-hmm. of, a couple of months, people were like, yeah, let's all band together and be nice. And then after a couple of months after that, Oh, we hate everyone that's doing vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we adjust. We adjust to things. And that is the same for happiness and mm-hmm. a certain level of comfort. And then the comfort becomes your prison because you're not challenging yourself anymore. You know, you're not, if you get to Bezos's level, you're not going to, I don't know why I keep picking him. Um, you're not going to, you don't really have a reason to get up anymore and challenge yourself because you have everything. So I'll yeah. just get up and I'll have a drink of gin because that's what I want to do today. That will make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, you're a full-blown alcoholic and not achieving anything anymore and you're a prison in your own home. <sighs> <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like my dad always used to say growing up, money will not make you happy. It can make you comfortable but it can't make you happy. Yeah. You've got to be happy before you get the money. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. Because if, you, if you, you're just constantly miserable trying to get to a certain level, when you get to that level, you're, like we said, you'll spike for a little bit and then mm-hmm. it will plateau again. Yeah. Having a purpose, having goals, it's a great motivator. Yeah. But it shouldn't be like, I'll get here and that'll be it. That's the end. Yeah. Because then the goalpost just keeps getting moved further and further. and Yeah. It becomes, it's always out of reach. You have to stay true to yourself, Sarah. You have to to figure out what it is that you want on a personal level. I want a hash brown. Uh, Yes. And you can't forget to send your family water because otherwise you'll hate yourself and you'll just become a full-blown alcoholic. Right. I'll remember that. I'll bear that in mind. Uh Okay. Yeah. There's a line in the film actually that kind of exemplifies that point. And I can't remember who says it, but it's in my notes. So somebody definitely said it, (laughs) Um, but they just say one must keep up. And that's sort of applicable to the point you were just making. But a lot of things like, you know, you're expected to keep up with your peers. You're expected to keep up appearances. With the Joneses. To fit fit in with society. You're Mm. expected to keep up at work. Um, And it's just a, it's a bullshit self-imposed metric. Mm. But 
definitely one that this film explores really yeah. well, I think. There's another line while we're talking about dialogue where I think he's talking about television mm-hmm. and he says, I think it may be in reference to life, it's all light, light and waves and it's kind of trying to find meaning by consuming it's not going to happen because that's just light and waves. It's not, it doesn't mean anything. It's just yeah. a way to pass the time. And that was a super interesting piece of dialogue for me. That's kind of the overriding one. If I can pick one piece of dialogue from this movie, it's all light and waves. It kind of told me what I was watching, how to yeah. view the movie as well. It's a good script. Yeah. It seems really off the wall and like batshit in places. In most of it, <laughs> not in places, most of the script yeah. seems quite batshit and disconnected and all over the place, out of left field. But actually, it's not its not as off the wall as it seems. No, I don't think so. And it kind of, that kind of is underlining my point earlier, I think, where you can, if you just, if, if you were watching The Man Fell to Earth and I came in 35 minutes into it, <laughs> I'm just like, why is he drinking river water? <laughs> this is random. Why I mean, are kabuki theatre scenes intercut with Riptorn having sex? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why is she holding Riptorn's penis? <laughs> um, why doesn't David Bowie have a butthole? <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So what are your theories about that? Not the butthole specifically, <laughs> but was David Icke right? Because when he takes his, um, I don't even, I, I, don't, I was going to call them contact lenses, but there's that great scene, isn't there, where he sort of like prizes it out. Well, you don't see it. You see him put them back in and I think it's reversed footage and it's dead, dead clever. Yeah. But his eyes are very reptilian. Yeah, it looks great. It, yeah, it's like the, uh, like the royal family. Yeah. yeah. So David Icke was correct, is I guess what you're so. saying? I think, I think David Icke had watched The Man Who Fell to Earth and was right. like, I've got a theory. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go on Wogan and talk about it. <laughs> he used to be a goalkeeper, I think. David Icke David or Ike. Wogan? <laughs> Ike, goalkeeper and then lizard person. But yeah, I think I thought about that, actually. I thought about when he, especially when he said the aliens already walk among us. Yeah. And there's all these people that think that lizards are here. And I'm not saying they're not. I don't know. We do, yeah, we just don't know. I'd say it's unlikely. <laughs> but uh, I don't really know. But in terms of the scene where he's revealing himself to Mary Lou and he's mm. telling her, look, I'm an alien. Um, he does it by showing her and he removes his David Bowie meat costume to reveal this reptilian, smooth, oily skin, zero butthole alien. Zero penis. And zero penis, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting scene. That I kind of um, maybe saw bits and pieces of this when I was very, very, very young. Oh, dear. And <laughs> I kind of remember that. I could be mixing it up with the Terminator 1 uh, scene where he pops his eyeball. <laughs> I definitely remember a lot of Ivel stuff when yeah. I was growing up. I mean, those it's fairly interchangeable, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's when he reveals himself and she's shocked, as you would be. So apparently that scene was supposed to play out differently. Her reaction was supposed to be completely different. Mm. But whatever they were doing, they couldn't make it work. So Nicholas Rogue had the idea where she was just so shocked that she wet herself, basically. Yeah, that's right. Which is quite a gross, visceral way to display how shocking something like that would be. Yeah. What'd you do? Oh, by the way, your husband's an alien who's n- just got a fucking nude blob, yeah. as they say in Barbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think the scenes surrounding that are some of my favourite when he really does descend into the full excesses of human life. 
Like he's just, I think there's one point as well, just after that, where he's seen stirring a drink with a gun. Mm. And I'm like, ah, that's the most American thing I've ever seen. He's assimilated. Yeah. So there's there's one scene that I wanted to mention mm-hmm. because I wasn't quite sure how to read it after we figure out that the government is involved and then Daft Punk tried to throw the lawyer out of the window. <laughs> So, oh, I've got a, so you know when they throw him at the window and it doesn't work, it doesn't break. Yeah, that was not planned. Really, he was supposed to go through first time. How funny! So they kept that in because it worked basically. How funny because he apologizes for not being able to be thrown through a window, yeah. and then he also says, "I've changed my mind." Right, and I don't know what that was in reference to because I assume it was meant to look like a suicide. Hmm. Um. But he says, I've changed my mind. And I wonder, oh, has he also shopped Newton? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really know how to take that piece of dialogue. I was very confused by that. And I still don't know what, what that means. Maybe he changed his mind about homework being the better album. <laughs> I don't know. It, to me, that sort of suggests that the government had approached him and he'd turned on Thomas, maybe. Yeah, I think they did approach him, didn't they? And yeah. Didn't he tell them to get fucked? I think so. But then maybe they approached him again later. They leaned on him a little bit. Um, and he changed his mind right at the last minute, but it was too late for him. Maybe, maybe. He was a loose end. Yeah. Knew too much. Yes. So I think I think I find a lawyer's character most perplexing because of that. Yeah, I, I quite like the character of yeah, Farnsworth. Me too. He was an interesting one. We mm. don't get we don't learn a huge amount about him. Mm. Enough, but not a huge amount. I kind of wish they'd explored him a little bit more. Yeah. How did you feel about the music in this film? I don't remember the music at all. Did Okay, that surprises me because there were a couple of moments where you kept laughing at the music. Were there? <laughs> yeah. So there were sort of Right. Okay, I'm going to start with an anecdote that I couldn't necessarily verify online so this might be hearsay but i went to see an adam buxton show about david bowie a few years ago and he told a story about the making of this film where bowie sort of got his wires crossed and assumed that because he'd been hired to act in the film he was also going to be in charge of the soundtrack because you know he was primarily a musician at that point i think this was his first major role in fact but yeah nicholas rogue rejected the music that he'd written and went in a completely different direction. I think maybe one or two tracks was used. What, in the movie? In the movie. I know he used some of the stuff he'd written for the film on his own albums a little bit further down the line. But, I, sorry, I, I wish I knew the guy's name. I don't know who ended up doing the music. But it was sort of, 50% of it was really ethereal and fit with the kind of cosmic themes and then the other 50% was just like this weird bluegrass Americana right. jarring stuff yeah. um, that felt really redneck and odd. And it was purposeful, obviously. Nothing about this film was an accident. Mm. Um, he wanted to, to feature music that was kind of completely at odds with the character and who he was and where he came from. And the way to do that was to, to include the most American music he could think of at the time. But it... It, it's tough. It fits. I I see the reason why they employed it, but I didn't really like it. No. I didn't care for it. I, I had completely forgotten about the music, but now you mentioned the kind of country and Western vibe. Yeah, I remember Twangy, all of that. Yeah, plinky plonky. Horrible. Didn't, yeah. didn't care for it. <laughs> um, I actually heard that 
I, I, and again, I don't know. I haven't confirmed this. Yeah. <laughs> say everyone's dead, so you can't confirm it now. Um, but I had heard that, yes, he had started to make the soundtrack for this, but it was the studio that said, no, we're not going to pay Bowie to do the music as well. Right. So he just stopped. Okay. So he may have assumed that. Right. But he started to make it and the studio were like, no, we okay. can't afford you to do the music as well. <laughs> Go away. Leave us alone. You, no but, double payments for you. But apparently one of the tracks that he made for this film, he... The, the the bare bones of it was included on one of his own albums, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I heard that as yeah. well. And some of the stills from the film were um, used on their cover art for Station to Station and Low, I believe, as well. Okay. Station to Station, I can vividly picture, um, but there was another as well, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because you mentioned that Bowie didn't really know what this movie was about. Yeah. I assume he'd read the scripts. <laughs> but maybe maybe not. Who knows? He learned his lines. But I know that much. This is the most Bowie film I think I've ever seen. Even if someone, even if Tilda Swinton was the lead role in a remake, it would still be a Bowie movie. The most, just because of his music, like you, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, the sort of things that are going on in it, just in the song Starman, for example. Yeah. And I think even when I was a kid, I might have thought that that song was on this movie. Mm. I don't know. It's, it would make sense. Yeah. It's so Bowie. Yeah. Absolutely. It's absolutely. most Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> Maximum over Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know who nearly played Thomas Newton? Go on. Michael Crichton. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the dinosaur guy. The guy who wrote Jurassic Park. The, the guy who wrote Timelines. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Okay. Who's like, I believe, six foot 11. Right. So based on his height. Yeah. I didn't even know. Has he done any acting work? Oh, this is the second tall alien movie we've done in a row. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could have got Kevin Peter Hall for this they one. They could. Oh, no, yeah. it wouldn't have been the same. But yeah, how odd. Mm. That's definitely one of those tidbits of information that sounds fake. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. They, they definitely went in the right direction, though. I think Bowie was so thin at the time, the costume department, um, that the lady who was in charge basically said that some of the, the outfits he was made to wear were actually children's clothes. Okay. Because he was so skinny and so frail. And they definitely played that up as well. Like the scene where you mentioned where Mary Lou is operating the lift and he kind of passes out and has a nosebleed and she carries him to his room. She obviously wasn't really carrying him. They built a rig that involved a skateboard and some other stuff. So it looked like she was carrying him. Oh, darling, would you carry me through the threshold? Yeah. I seem to have lost my balance. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds more like the bloke from Wayne's World too. <laughs> Killed him with his own shoe. <laughs> I think it's probably worth mentioning some of the, I hesitate to say effects work. But I guess it is. The practical stuff. Yeah, the I makeup. Guess it's all the right? makeup effect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, practical or in camera for sure. Yeah. No CGI. But yeah, some of the stuff that they utilized, I think the old person prosthetic makeup was like chef kiss. I thought, yeah, it was. For 1976. It was pretty. I, I would say the only problem I had here was a bit subtle. It was. Do you think? Yeah, it was kind of hard to tell if they'd actually aged up or not. Okay. I, I had to really concentrate on it. To, I mean, they could have done greyer, puffy, puffier hair or whatever. But yeah, it did look good though. I do agree with you. They did a really good job on it. Like did... old Rip Torn looked exactly how Rip Torn ended up looking. That's true. Yeah. It was amazing. Yes. They nailed it. I, I, would, I thought that this was made at the same time as Dodgeball. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, just shot it like that movie was it boyhood when he, he shot it. <laughs> yeah shot it over 40 years <laughs> yeah. yeah and even candy clark's makeup and there was a scene in particular it's kind of long after they'd parted ways but she comes to see him because he's been intercepted by the government he's become a recluse at that point she visits him in his insane townhouse it's prison of comfort prison of comfort with the very striking sort of wallpaper <laughs> Well, yeah, with the dartboard in the, the middle. The outdoor, indoor wallpaper, yeah. Yeah. That set was incredible. That house, the bedroom, yeah. all of it was oh, brilliant. You, you know what you've made it when you've got a roof light and a ping pong table. Right? Mm. That's the dream. But yeah, they so they have that moment. I think it's the last time they see each other and they sort of have a for old time's sake evening. Bunk up. Yeah. And it's shot really cleverly because obviously there's quite a lot of graphic nudity in this film, which we haven't really touched on, actually. <laughs> there's a lot of Beyond Rip Torn's penis. I'm amazed we haven't really mentioned it. Cocks and vaginas all over the gap. All over the shop. It's fucking great. <laughs> it's, look, we were talking about this off the air yesterday, I think. I find it wild that we've somehow, 50 years later, as a society, have gone more puritanical. Yeah. We've swung completely in the opposite direction. They're just bodies I would say they're just human bodies, yeah. but with one glowing exception in this instance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that scene is shot really cleverly because obviously she's got the old person makeup on. But then I don't know if you noticed, but all of her nude scenes, she's shot from the neck down because it's clearly a, a stand-in right. of a much older woman because, you know, people's yeah. bodies change as they age and you can't really use makeup or back then they couldn't really have done that convincingly. So it's yeah. shot really cleverly. Yeah. I, I remember thinking that's that really stuck out to me. Mm. It worked really well. Um, yeah, they have that last night of excess. And it's really sad. They're happy. They seem happy in the moment, but it felt really tragic. But that's kind of the point of it, though, isn't it? Well, the whole film is a tragic story, yeah. Yeah, but but that's that's kind of the point, is these these vices, alcohol, you're happy in the moment when you're drinking it. Yeah. Oh, this is great, but then it's you're not doing a thing. Yeah, when the dust achieved, settles, you'll be sad. Yeah, you haven't achieved anything, and actually you're going to have a bastard hangover in the morning unless you just carry on drinking. Mm. How do you feel about the, the very end, then? Well, because I, it is somewhat... I hesitate to say anticlimactic, because it's not that kind of film, but it just sort of ends. I think it's a natural conclusion. I think it's a pretty perfect ending for this movie. Yeah. For what it is, for what the themes are, for what it's about. I think, uh, and funnily enough as well, how art and real life kind of intertwine, the character Newton becomes a singer and releases an album. And they, when Rip Torn's character goes into the, the record shop, he actually passes a David Bowie record. Does he? Yeah. Oh, a bit of self-promotion. <laughs> yeah. Smart. <laughs> Bowie's publicist was like, we'll only sign this deal if you have a record in the background. <laughs> no, the camera needs to be an inch closer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he finds, Ripton finds him via listening to a, a, a track. I'm not the sure visitor. how that happens yeah. in 1976, but I guess it's the future. Now. Yeah. And he, yeah, so he tracks him down and he's at a restaurant or outside bar or something. Mm -hmm. And of course he's drinking. He's got a big old hat on. Yeah. And it's just the final conversation between Riptorn is Nate is his character. Mm -hmm. Nate. Yeah, I thought it was a good ending. They had a good discussion. It was the part where you meant that you mentioned earlier when Newton said we'd have done this we'd have done the same thing to you. Yeah. And um yeah, it was just a nice way to end it, end it because he sort of just He, he puts was his, like sadly accepting of the whole situation. Yeah. He just puts his head down and he's just kind of giving up. I see that as a the, the 
the waiter says, I think you've had enough in reference to the booze or, yeah. you know, literally in reference to the booze, but actually it's in reference to many, many things. And Riptorn's saying, yes, yes, I think he's had enough. And he puts his head down and it ends. And obviously that's just after the scene where we find out that Riptorn is now with Mary Lou. Mm. So doubly sort of tragic for Thomas. Yeah. His his family and, you know, his wife and children are long dead. The planet's dying. Mm. He didn't fulfill his mission. Yeah. And he's just kind of... I don't know what TikTok would call bed rotting, I suppose. Okay. Just wasting his life away. Yeah. Um, it's so tragic. It's like Shakespearean levels of tragedy, man. It is a, this movie definitely is a tragedy. Yeah, 100% um, on a global scale. Yeah. <laughs> for him. For sure. And his family. And for us, eventually. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all we need to do is build a hash brown spaceship. Yep. Fly to another planet. Get on some mosque. Okay. Um, SpaceX hash browns. I'll make that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good movie. I like this movie a lot, you know. That shocks me. I'll be honest. I, like I said earlier, I went into this fully expecting you to just be like, what the fuck was this pretentious, self-indulgent pile of wank? I think I I think I started it that way. I found it. Okay. I found it kind of difficult to get into it. It's quite inaccessible for the average, for the casual viewer. Yeah, and it's unusual. Yeah. And there's just some unusual visuals that I thought were kind of amusing and yep. I was laughing. And a weird narrative. Yeah. The structure is odd. Right, and it, it covers so much time and it's it's just very strange. And I think if you're not paying 100% attention to this, I can understand you think, oh, it's a bit fragmented, but actually... It does all tie together very, very well, mm-hmm. but you do have to work hard for it. Yeah, you have to think about it, and and maybe if if we weren't covering it for the podcast, maybe I wouldn't like it as much because I wouldn't have put as much thought into it. Maybe. So what you're saying is we need to cover Don't Look Now. <laughs> I'm saying that this is my favourite rogue movie, <laughs> right? Hands down. Better than the witches. Yes, it's better than the witches. <laughs> Although I've seen that more times than this movie. <laughs> well. I'm thrilled that you got so much out of it, actually. Mm. It's it unexpected. It's a good one. I did just There's a lot of boxes ticked for me, as I said, all yeah. the themes in what it. What are some of your favourite themes, then, to wrap us up? Um, I think the the focus on extreme capitalism, the mm-hmm. globalisation, the pursuit of all of the wealth. The monopoly of corporations. Yeah. It was kind of prescient in yeah. that way. Yeah, it was... It was uh, it definitely had something to say mm-hmm. and it definitely kind of had an understanding of where we were headed as well. And it yeah. was kind of um, prophetic in that way. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed all of the capitalism stuff and the um, the prison of abundance and that was super interesting. Like people as products. People as products, the one company to rule them all. Rather a product or a consumer. Yeah. Um, and the consumer is also the product. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. There's a lot going on in this movie, and it, there's a lot to unpack. And I think those are the themes that stuck out to me most. But mm-hmm. there's so many other things going on in it that I think that you could just pick your own kind of thing and run with it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's I can't. That's kind of another thing that I like about this is is, is, is the thing about art, isn't it? Is is subjective in it's nature. So open to interpretation. <laughs> and I think it's really good to sit down and just watch. A movie where people just blow up 
but sometimes <laughs> it's I like to watch a movie that gets me thinking. Yeah, and I can look at it many different ways. And this is this is an art movie. This is something. Yeah, this is like a painting. It's like the the Icarus painting that we've mentioned already. It's just like it's looking at that and looking at all of the different. Oh, how is that bit shaded? Why yeah. is this bit in this position? And it's looking at the entire piece as a whole and how it fits together. And each viewer is going to focus on a different corner of the painting yeah. or a, yeah I, I think it's beautifully made this mm. movie and it's just it's my jam man like the theme themes are my jam i'm so happy i'm happy too <laughs> i was a little bit afraid and a bit intimidated by this movie yeah yeah but it was a good one i liked it what how do you stand how many times have you seen this movie um probably about four four or five really yeah okay yeah um, I watched Don't Look Now when I was about 13, as I said. My dad introduced me to that because it was one of his favourites. Mm. Um, yeah, I watched both Don't Look Now and Deliverance at 13 <laughs> because, based on my dad's recommendations. Okay. Um, which probably explains a lot about my taste in films now, now that I think about it. Uh, yeah, that's a conversation to have with my therapist. But I think... Because I loved Don't Look Now so much, didn't understand it, don't get me wrong, but I loved it visually and thematically. It was just so striking. Mm. So I sought out his other work. I watched Walkabout and this quite soon after, as soon as I could get hold of them, really. It's one that's grown on me over the years. I think I like it a little bit more with each viewing. Yeah. I can um, understand that because there's so much to unpack from it. And, it. Yeah, it's pretty dense, isn't it? And and also, Sarah, sometimes we change when time <laughs> passes. So you're viewing it almost <laughs> as a different person. Changes. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a it's two thumbs up, Yeah. unsurprisingly. I love it. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. Long live David Bowie. Yes, agreed. So shall we announce what we're doing for the next episode? Sure, because I remember it this time. <laughs> We're doing Arrival. We're doing Arrival. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. I've only seen it once. Okay. I'm kind of excited to watch it again. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. It'll be an, it should be an interesting conversation. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that movie. Villeneuve is a hell of a filmmaker. Yeah. And he's got, I mean, he's just banger after banger, that guy. Mm. He's on a hell of a roll. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. Everything will be linked in the description.